In the, in the second book of Kings, in the Old Testament, is the place of our reference today. And as you honor the Lord by standing, if you can, I want to read the beginning at verse number 3. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for being good to us every day. This is one of my favorite references in this Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit brought me earlier this week to this passage for our lesson today. Verse 3, 2 Kings, chapter 7. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said one to another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famines in the city, we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. And there arose a twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. Oh, yes. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said one to another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. From this passage, I want to ask the question. What is holding you back? I don't see anybody with leprosy here. Some really adverse situation. But I've also found out we got to deal with stuff in order to move ahead, don't you? You found that out? Set your hands in my direction. Let's make this a, a one mind, one accord service today so that we all together get from what we, the Lord what we need. Would you pray for me and I will for you? Oh, Heavenly Father, I've never preached so much and so often that I know how. I've, n- I've never come to a passage that I've been to before and know it so well that I can just say something. Come on, pray with me, church. I don't want us to be held back when you've called us not to sit here and die. Somebody say amen. I don't want to wallow in in the pond of despair and yesterday and and a bad past and bad negativism. I don't want to just camp out, oh God, in misery when I can walk in miracles. Somebody else say amen. Oh God, I know I know that people have other things on their mind when they come to church, but I pray for the moment that we're here. Would you let the word of God be in our minds? And would you not let it be difficult for me to preach and for them to listen, but may it be easy for all of us to receive what you have to say. And if it's hard, let it be good in the sense that it sharpens us. So God, we need you. We want you. We want to move forward. And your word helps us to do that. And everybody agree. Would you say amen? Amen. And thank you for being seated. 
Keep your Bibles open, please, and let me move right into this text and give you some background. It's not difficult here in your understanding, by just reading what you have heard me read, to understand that there are some pretty disastrous times being spoken about in this text. We're told that an entire city, Samaria, please, in the previous chapter, chapter 6, it won't be on the screen, but verse 24 of chapter 6 says, And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. The people were being held back, the people of Samaria, the city of Samaria, were being held back by a large well-experienced, bloodthirsty, fire-in-their-eyes, conquering army from another territory. Though Samaria had its gates and its walls and a large population at one time, things were dire, not just because an army was waiting to pillage, abuse, steal, kill, etc., But there was a famine already taking place in the land. I don't know how long the famine had been progressing prior to the arrival of the enemy, the Syrians. But things were pretty scarce. In a famine, it means that there's no groceries surplus. The rain has refused to fall for quite some time, so the vegetation has died. The broad river is now into probably a trickling stream. Whatever animals that are surviving in this famine or drought are lean and they hold no promise of nutrition for themselves or for any survivors. Men and women, children and others are dying in the city all around. So much so until one woman negotiated with another woman, both of which had sons. They negotiated, today we will boil my son and eat him. And tomorrow we will boil yours and eat him. And they did it, the first woman did, just as she said. The next day when it was the turn for the other woman to boil her son, she hit him. I would say this is desperate times, wouldn't you? So desperate at the times, please. Chapter 6, verse 25, and there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed, they, the Syrians, besieged it until a donkey's head, a dead donkey's head, sold for 80 shekels of silver. And one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Now look at me, hear me. I don't care if these are the best of times. I ain't even interested in a donkey's head or doves dropping. I don't care if you got them on sale. But these were desperate times. Now chapter 7, there are four leprous men who are also being held back by the same conditions that are holding back the citizens of Samaria. But they have a compounded problem. They are lepers. And as a result of their contagious disease, they were outcast of society. So they were outside the gate. 
by virtue of the possibility of their disease being spread to the citizens and by the law of the land, they were outside the gate in, in between a closed up city dying and an army waiting to kill. Those were desperate times. This is September 5, 2010 and the question for us is what is holding you back from realizing your visions or dreams? What is holding you back from reaching your life's goals? Maybe you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s. And, and, and along the way in your past, you have had visions and dreams and aspirations and unctions of God to be and do something for God. Maybe you wanted to own your own business. You want to be self-employed. Maybe you wanted to... Be in a particular career by this time of your life. Maybe you wanted to join a particular team. Maybe you're athletically inclined and you haven't gotten there yet. And, and you're thinking, what is holding me back? What is holding you back from overcoming that destructive habit that you thought you would have conquered last year? For moving on after your world has fallen apart again. What is holding you back from your prayers being answered? I don't think people fall short of what God has for them because God isn't revealing himself. I think many do so because he does reveal himself. But in him doing so, we are forced to face several things that must be overcome if we are going to move forward. Oh, God is revealing himself. But God in revealing himself says to you and I along this way of life's journey that your moving forward and my moving forward doesn't just have to do with God moving us forward. It has to do with some decisions and issues that we must confront. Say amen by faith and I'll explain as we go. Uh, let me give you an explanation with point number one. This thing of fear holds us back many times. If you don't say something like, say what, God? When you hear God speak to you about what you should do or who you should be, then you probably hadn't heard from God. Yeah. God is probably not going to challenge us to be and do anything that we can be and do on our own power and ability. If we could do it in our own intellectualism and financial resources and know-how, we wouldn't need God. We'd get the glory and He wouldn't. So, so, so when, when you're walking down your merry way or driving down your car, in your car or maybe having your devotion and you, you just, some things kind of burst in your spirit and God revisited, you're going, and what you say, God, I could do what? That's probably a God moment. But then, then here's something that I have learned in my experience and I've learned from the experience of others in scriptures. We will never become who God calls us to be or do what God calls us to do if we do not face our fears. I'm going to be very transparent with you. That's one of the greatest challenges I face as a pastor in moving forward in dreams and visions God's given me. Fear. But then, when that comes up, the Holy Spirit shows me in His Word other men and women in Scripture who were faced with sometimes greater challenges than I am faced with and how God helped them to face their fears. Now I won't preach them all, but I just want to help you, okay? I want to charge that cell phone battery of your life. 
Okay? And so I think about David and Goliath. And David, being a 16-year-old, 15-year-old boy, comes to face a man who is a seasoned warrior, who is nine feet tall and has armor so large and heavy, it probably weighs more than David does, 125 pounds. And David comes to face him because this giant has threatened the people of God. And in facing his fears, he learns that God is available. Not only David, but I think about Moses, whom God called out of 40 years of minding sheep in the desert to go back from a country he left 40 years ago as one of the most wanted men in Egypt. And God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Well, upon God telling Moses his mission, Moses begins to offer excuses why he was unqualified to be God's man. Can I get an amen here? And so one of the reasons Moses told God he couldn't be used of God was that Moses said, I have a speech impediment. I can't talk clearly. And how can I be your spokesman? But he was forced to face his fear and speak to one of the most powerful men in the known world. I think about Noah. Noah was told by God to go build a boat. He didn't know what a boat was and he wasn't near the seashore. And God said it was going to rain and the boat was going to be called an ark. And it had never rained on the earth prior to the days of of Moses, God moistened the earth with water from the earth and otherwise, but he never saw rain and God said, I'm going to judge the earth, you build a boat. Moses, uh, pardon me, Noah faced his fear and did God come through? Can I get another amen here? And then there are others and I won't belabor it, but you remember when Esther, the slave girl, was taken from her homeland into a foreign land and by divine sovereign plans of God. God elevated a slave girl to become the queen of Persia. And then a wicked man threatened the annihilation of all of the Jewish people. And the only spokesperson for the Jewish people would be Esther. But Esther knew that she could not confront her husband, the king, and speak to him on behalf of her people without being invited by the king. Because the law was that you didn't make an appointment with the king. He made an appointment with you. And if you came unannounced, you could die. But she faced her fear. And God told her, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Can I get another amen? I think about Jacob who ran for 21 years from his brother Esau. He had done his brother wrong. He had cheated his brother, swindled his brother. He had denied his brother his blessing and his brother Esau made a vow. When our father dies, I am coming after Jacob and I'm going to kill him. But God said to Jacob after being away 21 years, it's time for you to go back to your homeland and go back and face your brother because I got plans for you. Did God help Jacob? Can I get an amen? And I can go on and on, but it returns me then to the four leprous men who are outside the gate of Samaria. And they know, knew, we can't go in the city because they won't let us in. And if they did, everybody's dying there anyhow. To go forward, our flesh is falling off our bone. 
We are so weak and emaciated, we probably couldn't make it to the Syrian army. And if we did make it, they'd kill us. Fear. I have discovered that if God puts something in your heart to do for Him or to do with your life that will bring Him glory, He will go ahead of your arrival making preparations for your success. If God's going to send you to face Goliath, he'll get the sling and the stone ready. Somebody ought to say amen. If God tells you to go to speak to a wicked ruler by the name of Pharaoh with a stubborn heart, God will take care of his heart while you do your part. I'm telling you, if God's given you a dream or a calling or a vision and something else is holding you back, but you will go because God told you by the time you get to where you need to be, God will have taken care of whatever hinders you and he'll be glorified and you'll be blessed. If you believe it, by faith, give the Lord a hand clap of thanks. For some of us, this is our life verse. This is one of my life verses. 2 Timothy 1 and 7. Read it out loud with me on the count of three. One, two, three. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Oh, say amen to that church. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. If God hasn't given it to us, it must come from the only other source, which is the devil. Fear is of the devil. God has given us power and love and a sound mind. You could be walking around in what looked like a sound body and not have a sound mind because of fear. You could be walking around like you're a king of the world or queen of the world, but Satan can have some kind of way of holding you back down with fear until you tremble in your boots. But every once in a while, if God told you something, you need to get you a Bible verse and you need to memorize it and you need to bring it up in your spirit because God has not given us fear, but power and love and a sound mind. People that accomplish great things for God must fight through their fears. Did you hear me? The reality is that God has never asked us to do anything easy except get saved. Yeah. The easiest thing you'll do after conversion is conversion. Because God does all that work. You take it by faith. But if you're going to be a man or woman of God, if you're going to overcome cussing, swearing, lying, sexual sins, (laughs) you know, when you come here, it ain't generic preaching. Why do you think we have a police car in front of my office? I preach like this. I need some covering. But I'm not here to apologize. I'm here to tell you that some of the, you know, we think God ain't blessing me. God ain't doing this. God promised this. It ain't all up to God. It's up to us to obey God first. Let me show you something else that holds us back. People. When you want to do something great for God, there will always be lots of people who try to tell you why you can't do what he already said you can do. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm telling you. People pardon the poor grammar. But they can be for you or against you. Okay? And sometimes some of the people that you count on to cheer you on the most can be your worst critic and hold you back. David shows up to Saul, the king of Israel, while the army of Israel was encamped on a mountaintop 
facing the army of the Philistines on the other mountaintop in yon distance and a valley in between. David shows up and presents himself to King Saul in response to the challenge of nine foot tall seasoned veteran fighter Goliath. I mean, you know the story, so I don't have to belabor it. Day after day after day, the Israelite camp would hear the threats of one man, Goliath. And Goliath would say, you don't have to bring your whole army. You don't have to get all of you all suited up and get all one man. Mano e mano. One on one. If one of you Israelites come and beat me to my death, then we become your servants or vice versa. And every day these soldiers, you know, in the camp of Israel, they'll get all their armor, all their gear, all their boots, all their shield, all their weapon. They'll shout the war cry. They have the look like they go fighters. But they were held back by the voice and the threats of Goliath. David shows up and says, I'll fight him. And Saul sees a 15, 16 year old freckle faced red headed boy who's been a shepherd. All he's ever done is shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. There, there is really not a high degree of uh, need for shepherds. Yeah. And David says, oh yeah, I, I, can, I, I can fight. And Saul looks at him and, 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 and he analyzes him like this. He says in 1 Samuel 17 and 33, Saul says to David, you don't have a chance against him. You are only a boy. Boy. And he's been a soldier all his life. So sit down and be quiet. Saul only hope he's criticizing. People. You see, if you were calling preachers 25 or 30 years ago, and God put you on the committee to call preachers, and I showed up in the line of hopeful candidates of being a preacher, now, I never had good-looking hair as Pastor Merriman here. But I had some then. And Tracy, if this is how Jeff's going to look later on, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You got hope for you, Pastor Jeff. Just have a little fun with you. But if I showed up in the line 25, 30 years ago when God called me to preach and, and you were in the, in the committee of choosing a preacher, you probably wouldn't have chose me. Because I didn't look like much. I probably wouldn't have chose myself. Because I found out if you're going to preach, you have to stand before people and talk. And these knees would often knock. I'd have to give an oral report, a written report, and speak it out loud in English class. And oh, I would lie to my mother on the day I have to give a report saying I got the worst tummy ache. How many of those gods on mother's side? She'd just see it every time. Give me a beat and send me on to school for lying. Because... I probably wouldn't stand a chance. And I don't mean ill against you. If I was choosing somebody for leadership and dreams and visions, because man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. Not only that, man, 25, 30 years ago, uh, I was who I was. Most people will see you who you are now. They can't see you of who you're going to be. Can I get another amen? God just just doesn't just see us as we are now. He sees us as to what we can be. I think of another account and I have to hurry. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah was told by God to return 
to the city of Jerusalem that is now in ruins and rebuild the walls because God was getting ready to take back the captives who had been gone away for years and years back to the city of God. And Nehemiah returns to the city of God in ruins because when the enemies came through years and years ago, they burned the city down. They pillaged it, ransacked it, burned down the gates of the city and the walls were of stone. So they tore down all the stone and even scorched them with fire that came from the fire of destroying the city. Nehemiah comes because... God says, I'm going to send my people back and you go ahead and you build it because I want my people to be secured in my city. And when Nehemiah returns ahead of the captives to rebuild the walls, there were some folks there who didn't want the walls rebuilt because of their personal agenda and their false gods. And they mocked Nehemiah and his co-workers. Now, here's how it goes down. Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. When Sanballat, the governor of Samaria, heard that we were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, he became angry and started insulting our people. I'm going to tell you, people can hold you back. Do you know there are some people who become angry at your success because they didn't have the discipline to get there? I'm preaching. Yeah, I'm telling you. There's some people who ought to be cheering for you, but they're angry that they didn't deny their flesh and discipline themselves and study and work hard and gain the income. And instead of them grateful for your blessing, they start getting angry and insulting your blessing. Help me preach here. God blesses you a little bit more. You drive a little nicer car, wear a little nicer clothes, have a little finer house. You've attained some goals that you prayed about and you work by the sweat of your brow. You read the Bible, you pray, you went to church, you gave your offerings, you served God. God moved you up several notch higher. And instead of other people saying, God, I want to walk the same path my brother or sister walks so I can bless too. They start, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that wasn't the end of it. Look, look, look here. In verse 2 it says, in front of his friends and the Samaritan army, he said... What is this feeble bunch of Jews trying to do? Are they going to rebuild the wall and offer sacrifices all in one day? Do they think they can make something out of this pile of scorched stones? And you know, all the devil wants is one naysayer, negative, down in the mouth, grumbling, fault-finding person. And he'll try to find somebody else to join up ranks with him. I heard the old saying, and I found it true in life, misery likes company. (laughs) I got to keep sanctifying myself here because I'm tempted to point out some misery and agony sitting beside each other. But I ain't. It's all all somebody got to find. One thing bad and somebody else comes right along. And that's what happened in verse number three. Tobiah from Ammon was standing beside Samballot. That's misery and agony together now. And Tobiah puts in his two cents. Look at the wall they're building. Why even a fox could knock over this pile of stones. Nehemiah didn't listen to them. Just like David didn't listen to Saul. David got him his sling and a stone. And not only did he confront Goliath. He nailed him. Took one smooth stone 
and a slingshot and under the power of God the stone landed in the forehead of Goliath knocked him down David rushed to him and David didn't have a sword he took Goliath's sword out of his sheath and beheaded Goliath then he took Goliath's head and lifted it up and said look what the Lord has done with our enemy can somebody say amen Nehemiah said, you know what, Sanballat and Tobiah, criticize all you want to. But I got a trial in my hand. We're mixing mud and we got some stones to build up. And half of you guys, you take you a weapon in one hand and you start building and a trial in the other hand. We're going to have a kind of a circuit going on. Half of us are going to work and half of us is going to watch for the enemy. Then we're going to rotate and do it all over again. But we are not going to let people keep up for moving ahead and the Bible said they built the wall they built it in record time and God was glorified I don't care if people are against you or for you if God is for you and you obey God he will bring to pass what he said <laughs> you know the leprous guys they, they, they were already stereotyped the leprous guys people Already knew them to be who they were by way of rejects and outcasts. And if you are going to be the husband that God wants you to be, and the wife that God wants you to be, and the employer that God wants you to be, and the Christian that God wants you to be, and if you are going to be that person that overcomes secret sins and public sins, you are going to have to be able to rise above people. Do you know keep, some people keep you from going forward? Sometimes you're hanging with the wrong crowd. I'm trying to hurry here. The wrong crowd who lead you into wrong places, who speak to you about things that are not of God. Oh, I got to move on. You got to get up and get past people. My advice to you is this. Never listen to anyone who is not doing anything tell you that you can't do anything. Yeah. Well, here's a better analogy. (laughs) Never take dance instructions... From a person who stands against the wall with his knees propped up, criticizing you for trying to get in rhythm. You're laughing because some of you used to dance under a different kind of spirit. And now you got another spirit in you. People. I don't, I don't mean this unkind. I'm not trying to be rude. And I'm conscious of time. But you know as a preacher, sometimes, and the preachers here would know, you get a little charge of your battery by looking at certain people in the church when you preach. You know the cell phone thing? Sometimes you're preaching away a, a storm, and, you, and, and I can just talk about me, you know. You studied, you prayed, you fasted, you, you, you got a burden, you want to see people change. Man, you got your sermon, you've memorized it, you've preached all of it, you got your PowerPoints and everything else. And, and, and boy, you, but, but when, when you're trying to preach, the devil's trying to distract you, getting your tongue all tied up in your mouth, making you try to forget and distracting you. And, and sometimes, you know, you're looking over the congregation, boy, you could see just one or two people who are right there in there with you, man. I mean, they may not have had a good week and they may not have, things are right, but, uh, but they're plugging in. They're like the energizer battery. I mean, they just keep you going and going and going. Yeah, I like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to get no response. I'm just trying to say, <laughs> God help us. And the other crowd can shut you down. It can just take one sourpuss. Yeah. 
one old stuck a lemon before coming to church. Wonder why they even came. Go shake their hand and they go. Go shake their hand and they hand you a wet rag as if you got to do all the work all over. You know I'm talking about the former crowd, not you guys. Yeah. You know how it is. If you've ever spoken publicly, man, you get somebody in there and people can add to you or they can take away from you. I know, I know, I know you all going to have preacher for lunch. I might as well give you some content. But remember, when we build that next sanctuary, 1,500 seats, I'm putting an electrical charge onto every one of them. And I'm going to have me one of these remote babies. <laughs> and some of you that... Jesus said he came to raise the dead. We're going to do it, buddy. <laughs> I can see some of you now. <laughs> no, I'm not hurting that bad for a shout. I'll just trust the Lord. God, help me. I don't know where I'm going. Here's, here's a third point. A procrastination lie will keep you from moving forward. By the way, Jeremy, is your mom with you? Is this your mother? Welcome to our church. Jeremy's been serving here for the last two years. And ma'am, I've got a few things I want to tell you about him after church, if you don't mind. <laughs> Welcome. God bless you. One day, one day, Pastor, one day I'm going to get saved. Pastor, one day I'm going to do what is right. One day I'm going to conquer these... these uh, Little foxes that spoil the vine in my life. These habits, these attitudes. One day, one day I'm going to be a better husband, a wife, or son, or daughter. There are people who know what God's already called them to do, but their response is one day. And for most of those people, that one day never comes. And I'll tell you why it never comes. Because those people have a mindset that When that one day comes, everything is going to be in place. And when everything comes to place, then I'll be ready to be all that God wants me to be and do all that I should do. I believe the number one excuse people will attempt to give Jesus on the day of judgment. Realizing that their faith is sealed and because of their Failure to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, having been given opportunities, plural. The one prevailing reason at the judgment bar of God will be people who say, but Jesus, one day I was going to church. One day I was going to get saved. One day I was going to confess my sins. I thought I had plenty of time. And Jesus would say, did I not tell you? Did I not tell you that today is the day of salvation? Now is the accepted time. Can I get an amen here, somebody? Did I not tell you that while I will prosper you, you don't know the number of your days. Make it count. I I have come to believe this about this excuse and I don't mean to be rude or crude and I'm hurrying here, but I will do it one day is often a lie we tell ourselves in order to justify our disobedience. Yeah. I will do
I'll do it one day. Not only, and I don't, again, I know these are bold statements, but I'm talking about life and death here. Can I get a witness, somebody? God's word is not to be considered. It is to be obeyed. God's word is not for negotiation. I don't, and again, listen to me. We are, as a culture in America, under this guise of political correctness. And under the guise of bringing everybody under one umbrella and one God. We are flip-flopping as a culture. Our politicians are on the issue of same-sex marriage. So one time it's legal, another time it's illegal. There are people flip-flopping on the issue of fornication and adultery. Do you know the Bible teaches against having sex with someone outside of marriage? It's called fornication. The Bible teaches against having sex with someone who's married, not your spouse. That's called adultery. Do you know the Bible is against living together out of wedlock and having sex? I'm being very genetic and real so that we understand. We understand what's holding us back. And that is God hasn't changed his mind about sin. And I say to you with, with a sense of not gloating or glorying in rebuke. I say to you that America will not be able to use the excuse of I wish we had known. There is no other nation in the world that have more Bibles, churches, preachers, teachers. No other nation. This business of waiting till we redefine it. God's word is not to be considered. It's to be obeyed. And so I tell you, I want to be the kind of person that doesn't let procrastination keep me from moving ahead. If I know I've got to confess and repent, give me the courage to do it. Let me do it, Lord. You see, the kind of people that got what they needed from Jesus in the, in the New Testament was the kind of people who had this kind of mentality. Nothing is going to hold me back. And so you find a father coming to Jesus who has a demon-possessed son, who has epileptic-like symptoms in Matthew 17. And this boy is so demon-possessed that if he walks by a body of water just casually, the demons will come in him and throw him in the water to drown him. This boy is so demon-possessed that if he goes by a fire to warm himself at night, the demons will come in and throw him in the fire and try to burn him up. And the father did everything he could, but he heard that Jesus was coming to town. And he thought, I'm not going to procrastinate. No, no, no. If Jesus is here, he may not come one another time, so nothing's going to hold me back. Did he go to Jesus? Did he get help? Can I get an amen somewhere? I'm trying to hurry here. There was a woman in Mark chapter 5 who had an issue of blood. She had a bleeding internal hemorrhage for 12 years. I'm about to say 12 years. 12 years she had it. She bled so uh, profusely and so unexpectedly until she was shameful of her disease. She went to doctors and physicians, spent all her money, didn't get better, got worse. One day she heard Jesus was coming to town. She thought to herself, nothing is going to hold me back. I'm not going to procrastinate for one minute. The Bible says she goes. There was a crowd around Jesus. She presses away. She pushes away through the crowd. She falls down and she touches the hem of his garment and immediately her blood issue dries up and she is well. Clap your hands somebody. 
I'm hurrying. What God is looking for to bless are people who have the attitude, nothing is going to hold me back. There were a man who had four friends who cared enough for him. This man was paralyzed. He was a paralytic. Mark chapter 10. His friends heard Jesus was coming to town. They put him on an army type cot. Like you take soldiers injured in the battlefield. Four friends. Each of them got a corner of the cot. Put their paralyzed friends on it. Said, Jesus is coming to town and you need to get better, boy. And we're going to take you to the house. Jesus is in. They started on their way. And when they got to the house, so many people had heard Jesus was coming to town. And they wanted a miracle. And nothing was going to hold them back until they crowded the window and they crowded the door. And the four friends with the paralyzed man on the cart couldn't get to Jesus. And they thought, well, we'll go home. No, they didn't think that. I feel that. <laughs> I got to tell you all what I feel before I say it because then some of you will jump up. I feel it. Glory. Coming on. There were some steps alongside the wall, outside wall of this house made of clay. Back then they had flat roofs in Palestine with the land of Jesus. And the four friends. Now this, it was terrible carrying him on rocky terrain. But now they're going to go up steps with this boy. Can you imagine? Two pray here. And they got him. This guy's paralyzed. He can't hold on and grab. Oh God, he's thinking. <laughs> if I won't go die from this disease, my friends are going to kill me trying to get me help. Have you ever had friends like that? They want you help so bad you're thinking they're going to kill me before I get to the hospital. The Bible says these four friends had the tenacity. They had the energy to drive. Nothing's going to hold us back. They got up the steps clumsily with their friend in the cot. They got up on the flat roof. They began to pull off mud and dried up tiles. And all the debris started falling in the presence of Jesus. And he knew something was fixing to come down. And something was fixing to raise up. That friend was lowered with ropes on the four corners by his friend. And Jesus saw his faith. Not only healed his body, forgave his sins. That man got up and ran out of the house and took half the crowd with him because nothing was going to hold him back. Somebody praise the Lord. Stand up and praise the Lord. Come on, stand up with me. After you stood, give the Lord some more praise. Come on, give him about 15 seconds. Nothing's going to hold me back. I want friends like that. I want friends like that. You see, the last point I wanted to make that I'm not going to preach is that sometimes we're held back because of the underestimation of God working through us. You get what I'm saying? Somebody else can preach, but I can't. God, God won't do that. Somebody else can teach, but I can't. Somebody else can have their own business. Somebody else can see their marriage healed. Somebody else's son or daughter can come off of drugs or jail. Not mine. We have a generational curse. It's on our family. No, no, no. That's a lie from hell. Jesus came to break the curse of sin and death and hell. If God will work through this man, he'll work through this lady. 
that's the God we serve. I don't care if you're my color skin or a different color skin. I don't care if you're my nationality or another nationality. I'm American now, former Caribbean Trinidad. But I don't, it doesn't matter with God, your social security number, your height, your talents, your abilities, your money or lack thereof. If you will trust Him and you'll say like the four leprous men, I'm not going to sit here and die. I'm not going to sit in my past and die. You see, something, the things that hold us back, and I'm going to bring you to the altar in a minute, is fear, people, procrastination, underestimation of our value to God. But sometimes it's bitterness. You know, you could be saved and harbor bitterness at sometimes. It'll hold you back. Sometimes an unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit. You save and going to heaven, but an unforgiving spirit can, can hinder your prayers. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes, not only, and, but you can be angry. Angry at God. Somebody died unexpectedly. And God hasn't explained himself. You could be angry at somebody else. And it holds you back. Uh, again, the list can go on. A victim, victim's mentality. Victim, always the victim, always the victim, always the victim. You got to say, I'm not going to see here. Until I die. I will die trying. When I die, somebody will know that I tried and I didn't sit there and sing a sad song in a strange land and let death come to me. Bow your heads, please. Pastor Matura, I need Jesus. Today is a day of salvation. When my life is over, I stand before God I want to hear him say well done enter in the joys of the Lord enter into heaven and I do not want to hear myself say to him I was going to I had planned to I was waiting for the right season I didn't think I was going to die so soon and don't let Satan make you think I'm trying to use some cheap psychology here I'm trying to use an invitation for your eternal destination that only the blood can secure, the blood of Jesus. If you have gone away from God, heads bowed and eyes closed, pray Christians, pray with me Christians, pray for me Christians, and pray for those in the next 30 seconds who will respond. If you know if you die today that you wouldn't make heaven, and you're not, you are not going to hide your stuff. You're going to say, God, you loved me and you confronted me and I'm going to confront my sin. I will not make heaven if I leave here like I came, but I need to make heaven and I want to get my heart right. I want to serve you. If you're not born again and you want to be born again in Jesus or you're coming back to Jesus, raise your hand if you want him. Hold it up, heads bowed and eyes closed, and I'm going to count these hands because I want it to represent something. I'm not going to call your name. Hold it up in Jesus' name. One, two, three, Four, five, pray saints, six, seven, if you're holding it up, this is the time, eight, nine, ten, ten. Put them down, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I know the Holy Spirit is telling me, don't shut the door right now. 
I'm not shutting the door. There are at least 10 others, if not 20 others, who would have drive out of this parking lot wishing you'd raise your hands. I am not going to make you embarrassed. I'm not going to give you a microphone and make you confess your sins to me. I'm not going to put a light on you and make you a public spectacle. But you have an audience with God right now. And he is giving you an opportunity. One more time. If you did not raise your hands a moment ago. You did not raise your hands and you want to now. Raise it now in Jesus' name. Hold it up. Hold it up quickly. Quickly in Jesus' name. Quickly in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I see it. Thank you. Somebody else? Thank you. There's another one. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay. You're praying, saints, and I hear you praying. Everyone in the house, those of you that are saved, if you repeat this prayer with those who are going to be saved, you will encourage them. Everybody say out loud. Repeat after me this prayer. Lord Jesus. Today, I confront my sins. I confess that in knowing to do what is right, I have often done wrong. I confess that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But Jesus, I also confess that you are the Son of God. And today, I want you to be my Savior. Wash away my sins. Make me clean. Come into my life. And make me a new creation in God. Today, I confess that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And I receive Him by faith into my life. Thank you, Lord, for another chance. And starting today... I give you my all. I am not going to sit here and die. I am going to march forward with a changed life. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together, everybody else. And let's celebrate. Let's celebrate some prizes that heaven has given. Some trophies that are now on their way to heaven. Trophies of righteousness. Oh, my, 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 my. I got one more invitation. It won't take me but two minutes. And this is how we're going to close. Now, I want you to do this business of facing whatever's holding you back by bringing it to the altar and leaving it. Now, I'm talking to saved folk. I want you to, the Bible says, faith without works is dead. I want you to demonstrate your faith in the word and you believe by stepping out. And if it's been anything I described or the Holy Spirit has shown you something that you need to face and confront and deal with and leave it at the altar. Be it your marriage, be it your children, be it your mind, be it your body, be it what, be it your lifestyle. There's some stuff that keeps dragging you back. People, attitudes, whatever it is. What, a lack of prayer, a lack of reading the Bible. You say, Pastor, I'm not going to sit here and die when I can have joy and peace in Jesus as a Christian. I'm not going to be a miserable Christian or make other people miserable. If that's you, come in Jesus' name for a closing prayer around the altar. Sing, sing if you will. Come from everywhere. Come from everywhere. Come from everywhere.
ready for the prayer. Listen to me now. Every one of you in this altar, everyone, I want you to leave it right here with the Lord. Leave it in this altar. Whatever it is you came up here for that has held you back, after we leave, the custodians are going to come through and clean it up. But God's already taken care of it. Listen to me. You have demonstrated faith. Don't go by your feelings alone or don't go by somebody else around you. You have a personal right now appointment with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. There is no greater combination of power in the galaxies or any world than God Jehovah. He will make all things new. Here's the posture we recommend. It's a posture of surrender and it's a posture of praise. Reach up your hands all over to the Lord. Even if you're uncomfortable, risk it for a moment. Everybody in the church and at the altar right now, tell the Lord what you're leaving with Him today and what is not going to hold you back. Pray to yourself. Pray in a whisper. And in a moment, I'm going to pray and close the prayer. Right now. Go ahead and tell Him. Jesus, I lift my hands. I lift my voice. And I refuse to let my mind lie to me. I refuse to let, oh God, people and circumstances and attitudes drag me down. Oh God, I I refuse to, to have condemnation and generational curses on me. Go ahead and tell it. Oh God, the economy may be holding me back, but you have every resource I need. My marriage, oh God, may not be the best right now, but you have everything I need. God, somebody has victimized me. Somebody has hurt me in the past. Somebody has abused me verbally or sexually or physically. And I I will leave it at the altar. Somebody say amen. And, and, And tell them when you're here. God, I've been with the wrong crowd. I've been with the wrong people. And they have drugged me down and I'm dying. But I'd rather live today. And so as your hands are still raised up, I'm going to pray over you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior, you said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and we shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Pray now. God, I pray healing over everyone in this altar and this church. I pray, oh God, like Paul says that we should live. Forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Like the four leprous men who got up and in spite, oh God, of their leprosy, you use their walking to scare the enemy. Come on, somebody help me. God, the end of the story is that the enemy was frightened because you took four leprous men and made them sound like they were a large army and drove the enemy away. And so God, as a result of that, they found food and they found life and a whole city was saved. God, my praise may sound feeble to others, but use it, I pray. Somebody say amen. God, my faith may sound and look feeble to others, but amplify it in the presence of demons. Somebody say amen. Oh God, I pray. I may not look like a whole lot to the world and others, but I'm your child. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Make all things new in my life. Demons of hell, you gotta go. Say amen, somebody. Generational curses, you gotta go. Sickness in my body, you gotta go. Anxiety, panic attack, you gotta go. Sexual sins, you gotta go. In Jesus' name, all things are made new. Put your hands together now and give a Lord a clap.
text and you go back and read it at home. If you want a more strength, go back and read it. Because sometimes we preachers don't get to the end of the thing. The end of the thing is God took four initiated, odorous, bad smelling, flesh falling off their bone, rejects, and got them up from a gate going to the army that sure enough would kill them. And every step they took, it sounded like a thunder of an Egyptian or Hittite army. My Lord, when they four feebly initiated, scrawny, dying guys caused the Syrians to think, Oh God, the Israelites have hired other kings. They dropped their jacket, they dropped their coat, they left their donkeys and their horses and their swords and their spears and their booty from the other battles and ran for their life. When those lepers got there, they thought, look what the Lord has done. We got to have some of this. Well, I don't know, but they took and they put, they, they hired clothes. They didn't even came wear clothes. They hired in clothes. They took gold and silver and they took all kind of stuff and they hid it and they munched on all kinds. They just munch, munch and they're thinking, oh God, we are got blessed to be a blessing. I feel a whoop glory. <laughs> and you know, I'm going to my second sermon. No, you see, when you get blessed in this altar, God wants you to go tell somebody else where you found bread. Where you, so they said, you know, if we keep greedy with all the goodness of God, he's going to kill us. Sure enough, we're going to tell the whole city. And the next day, ain't nobody buying dove dung anymore. <laughs> Pardon me, I know you're going to lunch, but it isn't the Bible. They got real food. So I don't, you say, I only went to the altar, I only prayed. It's amazing what that sounds in the realm of the heavenlies to the demons. It's amazing your little, your little praise, your little praise. How that sounds like an echo to demons who are trying to attack your family. If all you could say is thank you, Jesus. Have the greatest day of your life.